Welcome to the Power Women podcast. I'm Victoria Schneps, the proud publisher of Schneps Media with print, digital, events, and broadcasting programs reaching the New York City region and Philadelphia and Florida. So we are so delighted today to have with us a woman who has broken the glass ceiling, who has become the first president of a female order, <laughs> a power woman of all sense, the president of Hofstra College, Susan Poser. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. It's really a, a breaking ground uh, for us here in Long Island and in the uh, country. I Sadly, we are a small number of women that are in such leadership roles. So we welcome you. And I'm so glad that Hofstra has your great leadership. I want to jump right in and, and talk a little bit about your beginning years that made you uh, the person you are today. Who influenced you and what influenced you when you were growing up? Well, I think I can give you a who and a what. So if I were to say who, um, I think I would choose my father. He is a person of tremendous integrity, uh, also ended up being a law professor, which I also was a law professor for a while. So we had that very much in common. But he, he is a real lover of the arts and of music. And so there was always classical music playing uh, at every meal uh, as I was growing up. Uh, he used to take me to plays and to the ballet and to museums and so on, and really instilled in me um, a love for the arts, uh, particularly music, I would say, and, and maybe ballet would come in second. In terms of watching, I'm, I'm, I don't do ballet myself. If I but were to- a classical pianist. Yes, and so I play piano as an amateur, but I have, uh, it, I love it and I continue to do it. I even continue to take lessons. The what I would say uh, would be where I spent um, five summers while I was growing up uh, and then worked there for a couple of years. And that it's also related to the arts. So I, I went to the Interlochen National Music Camp up in uh, near Traverse City in Interlochen, Michigan. And the music and the arts there were wonderful. But the real thing that it taught me was it, it gave me a much broader view about uh, the United States, about people. Uh, I was growing up on the Upper West Side of New York, and so I really learned a lot about Midwesterners and just a different way of life. And, and the really wonderful thing about Interlochen was that everybody was judged on their talent and their personalities. Uh, we actually had to use, wear these crazy uniforms. We had to wear knickers, and the color of our socks uh, told the world uh, how old we were, you know, which division we were in. And when you were basically middle school, you had bright red socks on so you could be seen from miles away. And it was, and so nobody cared how you dressed or who your parents were or where you lived. They only cared about what you, who you were and, and what kind of talent you had. And that was a great thing for somebody, you know, in middle and high school uh, to learn and to experience. And my best friend to this day, uh, I met there and she's actually from Chicago. Um, well, it's so interesting. That that you... Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I it's just... interesting how you stayed in Chicago. You really fell in love because you were, did follow up by living there and, and working there for a period of time. I did, although it was after 20 years in Nebraska at the University of Nebraska. So I was very happy to uh, end up in Chicago after uh, my time at Nebraska, which was also wonderful and very interesting. But yes, Chicago's a great town. So Interlochen really helped shape you, I think, with a lot of kind of feelings about 
the diversity of people and just being based on talent sounds like. Talent and, and who you were. Again, it wasn't, you know, I went to high school in New York City. So a lot, there was a lot of, you know. Where did you go to school? I went to, um, up until eighth grade, I went to Columbia Grammar School. I think now it's called Columbia Prep. Uh, and then in high school, I went to Fieldston. Okay, so you were up in the Bronx. Yes, I was up in Riverdale. <laughs> That's part of our Bronx world. I know it yes. well. So I know that um, your path to uh, the head of Hofstra as president has really been uh, built very strategically. Was this a dream job for you? Tell me about what you're doing now. Well, it, it has turned out to be a dream job, but I have to say uh, as a faculty member where I began you know, many years ago, I didn't know anything about administration and I never had any ambitions to be in administration uh, until I actually started to experience it and found that I really loved it. But it's really been wonderful at Hofstra University. I've been here since uh, I've started on August 1st. Uh, everybody has been incredibly welcoming. Uh, this university is just beautifully positioned right now. It's in very good shape financially. It's got beautiful buildings, a gorgeous campus. It's uh, actually a recognized arboretum. And we have the opportunity now to take this foundation that has been built uh, and really grow our academic programs and think about the kinds of things that we want to you know, specialize in and define the future of the university. So I'm really interested in turning my attention towards the academic side, towards hiring faculty, particularly diverse faculty, uh, growing our research program and our scholarship, um, and really supporting the academic side. Well, I know you also, dear friend Jim Metzger, has the Hofstra Lacrosse Stadium. So, uh, you know, my daughter graduated from Hofstra. So I, oh. and she lived at the dorms, even though we lived on Long Island, she wanted to be at the dorms. So I know that there's that balance of, you know, the sports and the academic. And many of your students do double duty, don't they? Yes, they do. And we've had a wonderful uh, season this fall. Our, both our men's and our women's soccer teams won the conference championships the, in the CAA, the Colonial Athletic Association, and both teams went to the NCAA championships. Um, so we've had a great, a great year. And, and of course, men's basketball now has Speedy Claxton as its coach, and they're also doing very, very well. And so there's a lot of excitement on campus about athletics, but certainly the student athletes have to do that. And then they also excel uh, in academics and they're really leaders on campus. So we're very, very proud uh, of the athletic program. And it also seems to, you know, just be off and running and, you know, getting better and better. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, but, well, I you know, know that academically you've got your hands full because not only in undergraduate school, but share about the wonderful graduate schools you have. Well, that's the unique thing about Hofstra. It has a real sort of small college feel because of the campus. Uh, we have 10,000 students altogether, so it's large, but it has a nice small feel and it really offers everything. So it has this liberal arts core for the undergraduates, but with lots of other opportunities in communications, as you well know, and journalism, media studies, uh, but also we have a wonderful undergraduate engineering program. We have all of the arts and sciences, uh, as well as the health sciences. But in addition to that, as you say, we have lots of graduate programs, law school, business school. We now have a medical school in partnership with Northwell. Uh, health systems. We have a school of nursing. So we sort of offer everything in this kind of beautiful and quite manageable uh, environment. 
Uh, and I think the you know students get a lot of attention in small classes. So it's you know it's a very exciting place to be, and I think is serving this generation of students very well. And what would you say is your biggest challenge when you've come in now to be the leader? Well, putting aside COVID, which is a challenge for everybody. By itself, of course. Um, you know, there's a lot of competition in the New York area. There is a decreasing enrollment across the country, but particularly in the Northeast and the Midwest. That is, when I say decreasing enrollment, I mean decreasing numbers of students graduating from high school. So the pool is smaller. And so we all have a challenge now to define ourselves and our programs in order to uh, maintain our enrollment um, and continue to attract the outstanding students that we have been attracting now for decades. So that's a big challenge. Again, it's not special to Hofstra. We don't have a lot of specific challenges that are not more general because we, you know, we are in good financial situation right now. Um, I have an outstanding group of vice presidents, you know, running everything from, you know, uh, admissions to athletics to facilities and academic affairs and so on and so forth. So we're we're just very well positioned right now, and we have to deal with many of the things that everybody's dealing with. Well, I think that this um, obviously certain things, the birth rate is is beyond your control. Yes, uh, but certainly within your control is how do you? I think you've done this at other schools. Have you any ways to not just get the students, but to retain the students and a diverse group? Because we, as a company, also look for diversity. How are you going to be able to do that? Well, as far as the diversity of the students, um, we are first of all really reaching out to our uh, local community, which is very diverse here in Hempstead and Uniondale and surrounding towns. And so we're continuing to build those bridges. We are also, you know, in, in building out our academic programs, we are going to be able to attract more students from out of state. And um, so, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of diversity in New York, but there's also a lot of diversity outside of New York, particularly in the, in the South and the West. And so we're very strong there now going there for, um, uh, our admissions folks are there and recruiting there. On the faculty side, because it's absolutely critical that faculty look something like the student body, uh, we are already working on uh, ways in which we can, you know, motivate and effectuate uh, hiring a more diverse faculty. And that has, that, that really involves search, how we do searches, how we recruit, and the kinds of positions we recruit for and where we look and how we grow the pools of candidates. And so we're working on a bunch of strategies in order to uh, diversify our faculty as well. So, you know, the Susan Poser um, leg legacy, have you, do you start there to think of what you want to have as your <laughs> legacy and then go backwards? Or how do you have your, your mark on the school? Well, I think that if COVID has taught us anything, it's that you cannot predict or control the future. And so I really do not think in terms of my legacy. What I think of in terms, what I think about is what is, what is the world like today? What do I think it's going to be like in the next five to 10 years? What do our students need in order to be able to leave Hofstra when they graduate and be productive members of society and also have you know fulfilling lot personal lives and lives outside of work and that's really where i start and of course look around at trends and the kinds of things that students want to study now 
So it's really where the about jobs are, right? Where the jobs are too. Where the jobs are, that's right. And also it's, you know, I think one thing I feel very certain about is that, you know, it's not your first job. And in fact, what we're doing is we're preparing students for jobs that don't exist right now because we have no idea where technology is going to take us. And so what we have to do is create students with flexible intellects, students who know how to learn, who know how to think critically, who know how to communicate. And that's really the core of the education. And then, of course, they're going to go on and learn something more specialized so that they move into a career uh, or to graduate school when they leave here. But they have to have as a sort of foundation of their education, the ability to uh, pivot uh, as that becomes necessary because we, you know, jobs are changing very rapidly. And there's just so much of this that we can predict right now. And it's really not your first job. Yes, it's interesting. You know, people years ago, you had one job, let's say with IBM for your life. Exactly. This is very rare. We That's find right. young people who we hire as reporters and uh, uh, turn over much faster because they want to explore the world. Yes. And it's that's why we set. have all these platforms, right? That's right. That's right. It's very interesting. But how would you get uh, little secrets of success that you could share that may help other people um, as you have traveled the ladder of success? And we're so proud to have you here in, on Long Island at Hofstra. Can you give us some tips, some ideas of what people should be looking to do to be successful? Well, I guess, you know, I sort of divide the world up into the things I can control and the things I can't control. And so um, on the things that you can control, I mean, I think the the old uh, cliche that everything is relationships is absolutely Mm -hmm. true. And so you want to build relationships uh, at all times. My mother used to say, you know, if somebody invites you to go do something, you should always go. You shouldn't say, oh, I don't know, that might not be fun because you have no idea who else is going to show up there and what kind of experience you're going to have. And, and I was, and how you met your husband. I know you've got a brilliant husband too. <laughs> uh, well, I met him in college, actually. We've been, this is actually, today is our, um, oh my goodness, I don't know, 37th anniversary of dating or 38th, something like that. So we've been together <laughs> a very long time. It works. Um, yes, it worked. Uh, but, you know, so, so I think, building and and caring for your relationships. Uh, And I'm really talking more about, you know, work colleagues and and just anybody uh, that you meet. Uh, Having said that, I would also say don't spend time with people who aren't good for you. Uh, There are some people who are just not not good for you. uh, And that's a kind of individual thing. And it's important to just not spend time in that way. Well, my mom used to say that um, uh, and I felt that I could judge this, how well my children were doing at four children by their friends. Mm, yes. Isn't it a joy when your friends, when your kids have great friends? You know, they're on the right path. Yes. It's not I that totally complicated. Agree. Yes. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is the people you associate with speak to who you are. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you've seen that too. Well, I am so pleased to be speaking today with Susan Poser, who is the first woman ever to be president of Hofstra University, a school that makes our island proud. So thank you so much for being with us. This is Victoria Schnepp saying, till next time from Schnepp's Media. Power women, we're there. Thank you. Bye now.